You are listening to the Post-Atomic Horror Podcast with Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham. Episode 182, covering family business and Shakar. Friends, we're near the end of Season 3 of DS9 already. It's pretty remarkable. It's getting pretty close. Yeah, next next week is it for us for this season. Reaching the halfway point of Deep Space Nine. Yep. Already. Yeah, it's... uh I believe that. Slipping out of our fingers like like so much good things that we're not going to have for very much longer. Hmm. Like, but let's, let's like, like, you know... Like so much delicious corn. <laughs> yes. Corn. That, uh, that, that, that very transient, you know, experience of... of this is great, but I can only have it in a fleeting way. I can only eat this corn for so long before there is no corn again. And then what will I eat? Nothing. There was what? somebody on Twitter, I can't remember who it was, said, uh, I want to eat this corn, but I want to be able to hold this corn, <laughs> and I want the solution to also be corn-shaped. <laughs> and that just delighted me. I wish I had small corn to hold this regular corn. Right. But I can't eat the small corn. You know, like like all ob- good observational humor, it points out the ridiculousness of, of something that you deal with every day. While standing in front of a brick wall. Well, of course. Standing, I mean, we're all standing in front of brick walls, aren't we? Standing in front of life's brick wall. Right. Or smashing into it like so much crash test dummy. <laughs> the the dummies, not, not the band. No, I know. You think before they crash into a wall and die, they go... <laughs> That's like their last words. <laughs> Once there was a guy who drove into a wall. The end. <laughs> story. Well, the episodes we have this week are not nearly that depressing. <laughs> but they're, you know, they're pretty middle of the road know. episodes. Family business say. is pretty depressing on that yeah, it's, it's It's not good, but it's not, you know. It's not run depressing. into a wall bad? No. It's not past tense. The highly controversial <laughs> past tense. Oh, let me tell you, I've, and, and I'll give this information out at the end of the show. People have been writing in for our supplemental episode in a couple of weeks, as, as they do, and uh, people are weighing in, and uh, it, it is definitely, we have definitely sparked something there. Oh my god. People have opinions. Who knew? I know. Are people this passionate about Hat Guy? I get, well, the thing is, they're not all on, on the other side. Some of them agree with us. Oh, well, thank Christ for that. But not all of them. I thought it was just us, and we were insane. It's like I always knew this day would come. See, this happens to me all the time. Where it would just be you and me against the entire world. I'm I'm impressed that I got you on board with that. It's usually me against everybody else. <laughs> yep. Like, uh, people will be into this new thing, and I'll be like, "What? why is that a thing? And everyone will be like, shut up, you're terrible. Oh, okay. oh I didn't think I was terrible. I thought I was pretty mm. great. Yeah, I, I guess I'm terrible. Anyway, why don't I tell you about the episode that's called Family Business? Oh, yeah, you should probably do that. Yeah, that's, you know, usually this opening segment should be about a minute or two, and we're past three minutes, mm-hmm. so maybe maybe it's time to get moving here. So, Cisco is cooking up some kind of baba ganoush or goulash or some kind of foreign-y food that ends in shh. When Jake comes in and immediately starts harassing his pop about that date he's been trying to set him up on. You know, for like a week. But before we get another fantastic hour of the Cisco boys chilling over dinner... We cut away to Quark's, and oh good, it's another wacky Ferengi episode. Didn't we just do one of these? 
This time, the bar has been shut down by a weaselly Ferengi bureaucrat who informs Quark that he's being held responsible for the subversive acts of a family member. Sadly, this does not result in Rom being carted off to second banana heaven like so much TV's Frank. (laughs) No, the offending Ferengi in question is their mother. And when don't we love meeting a character's parents? Uh, Okay, Spock's parents are great. So were Worf's. Luxana Troy is actually one of our favorite recurring guest stars. Noonie and Soong had his moments. All right, so my knee-jerk reaction of meeting a character's parents is usually stupid and terrible is entirely off-base. And you know, Quark and Mom's mother Ishka is fine, I guess. She's been accused of wearing clothes, earning profit, and just all around doing man stuff that females aren't supposed to be doing because of the patriarchy. So Quark and Rom head to the moist, bug-infested homeworld of Ferenginar. And the next 30 minutes are basically Quark telling his mom to knock it off and his mother saying no. Back on Deep Space Nine, Jake's been busy. He's told everyone about Cisco's impending date, and since we established way back in the Q episode that he's not Picard, nobody feels too scared to give him a little friendly ribbing about it. Cisco finally gives in and has a chat with Cassidy Yates, a freighter pilot who honestly doesn't seem all that into him. Meanwhile, on the swampy misogynist planet, Quark is telling his mom to knock it off and she's still saying no. And she says yes and everyone gets to go home. Even Rom. Damn it. Oh, and it turns out Cassidy likes baseball, so Ben has finally found someone who can appreciate his drop-the-ball joke. Obviously a keeper. I think the uh, the bad parent episode you're thinking of in, you're thinking of is uh, Jordy's mom. The oh, most, right. Wasn't, the most wasn't Jordy's mom's parent. Miss Cleo? Yes. <laughs> Jordy. Call me now, Jordy. Yeah, but that was that was immediately balanced out by Jordy's dad being the uh, pretty cool Ben Vereen. That's true. So that that sort of washes out to, you know, even. I don't know. It's just, like, despite the fact that everyone's parents we've ever met is pretty cool. Just the, the And this is the episode where we meet Quark's mom. Well, and the thing is, on most TV shows, it feels like, oh, really? You're out of ideas, so now we got to meet everyone's mom. Where's, uh, where's uh, Quark's hilarious nephew? Oh, wait, he was always here. <laughs> He's always been here. Hey, Mr. Q! <laughs> Yeah, hi, Roy. I desperately wish that Nog was like that. Yeah, me too. The thing is, like, that is my natural reaction, like, uh, family members. But, but again, like, just, like, that is the exact train of thought that I had that ended up in my summary. That I went through and, like, nope, that one was cool, that one was cool. Okay, they're all pretty cool. Yeah. So I'm, I'm entirely wrong on that. Yeah. But... I, I, it took me a while to figure it out. I realized what I don't really like about Ferengi episodes, and specifically what I didn't like about this episode, is Rom. Yeah, he's bad. He really is. Now, th- this is fun. Uh, Brian, Brian Lynch, who is a regular guest on our show mm-hmm. and, and regular, you know, regularly talks to us about what's going on and stuff, um, uh, is, is a uh, teacher. Yes. And he's teaching, I, I want to say, fourth graders, yeah, yeah, but I he, might be wrong about reasonably that. Reasonably young kids, as far as I can Yeah, kids, elementary school er, like level kids, yeah. like still still pretty young. Um, not cynical yet. No. Is, is sort of what, what the point is. I don't is. know, that's getting, uh, that's getting younger and younger. <laughs> yeah, the, the age of cynicism is, is raising. But no, I've, from everything I've heard him relay, like Brian is pretty deep nerd, and he's really trying to fill their heads with some interesting storytelling and interesting yeah. stuff you know stuff that's age appropriate but stuff that's definitely not usually taught in schools and they seem into it so they must be more open-minded than you know like your cynical teenager would sure be. 
But in, in any case, he showed them, he wanted to show them an episode of Deep Space Nine. Uh, he showed them a couple of them, and one of them was a forthcoming episode we haven't gotten to yet from six or seven, I can't remember. Right. And uh, their, their favorite character was Rom. Which, mm. our reaction to which was, what? Yeah. Now, I'm, I'm, you know, I was just singing the praises of uncynical children, mm. but now I'm, I'm sorry, children are stupid. Yeah. I mean, Rome I get terrible. it. No, I, I don't. He's dumb and he has a stupid voice. It's just like, it's just like Brian said. Yeah, but when I was a kid, that wasn't my favorite kind of character. I don't know, when I was young. No, I never, Pretty I Pretty young, I, but, uh... No. But then again, I, like, you know, my big thing was Transformers, and I never liked the Dinobots, and their whole thing was, we're dumb. Uh, that might be it. So, you know, it's, but I mean, I'm trying to think of other examples. I, I didn't really like the dumb vulture in uh, Looney Tunes. Or that dumb lion in Looney Tunes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, no, the, he was he was a, a panther, or no, a puma. A leopard? Pete the Puma, I think. Ah, uh, yeah, okay. okay. Yeah. But it was a lion. But, uh, well, he look, he's drawn like a lion, but, you know. But he acts like a puma. No, he's named Pete. Maybe he's just named Pete the Puma, but he's actually a lion. Mm. It doesn't matter. The point is, I don't think I've ever liked the dumb characters with the dumb voices. Huh. Like, maybe that's a thing for a lot of kids, but I, it's never really done it for me. All right. And he doesn't, like, he definitely doesn't do it for me as an adult. Like, he's just dumb. He's, he's just there to be Quark's, like... Sidekick. Well, it's like we it's like we kept saying he's <clears throat> the goofy side character to the comic relief. Yeah. And suddenly they're like, oh, we're stuck with this voice and this look and this character now. Yeah. I guess it's, we got to make the best of a bad situation. I would say seventy five percent of it to me is the voice. Mm -hmm. It's a bad <laughs> fucking voice. Yeah. And and it really came into focus for me in the recent Mirror Universe episode mm -hmm. when we saw Evil Rom. And he talked like a normal person. Talking, yeah, a little sinister, but otherwise, you know, yeah. not the, ooh, doo, doo. just, it, it was, you know, it was good. But I, I was thinking, if we did the same episode without Rom, mm -hmm. if the conflict was just between Quark and his mom, yeah. I'd probably be more into it. Mm -hmm. It just, the, well, I mean, because he presence doesn't, of Rom kind of he doesn't really do anything. Well, I mean, I guess that's not true. He brings, he gets the two of them to stop arguing at the end. Yeah, but that's easy enough yeah, to write in a different that's, that's way. Yeah, that's fixable. You could stick fucking, like, Nog in there and probably no, be about I think, the same episode. I honestly think you don't need a third character there. Like, I think you could probably make this happen just between the two of mm. them. But, I mean, regardless, it's specifically Rom that I have a problem with, not that there's a third yeah. character. It's it's just, he's, he's not great. It, and I, I do like Andrea Martin as as their mom. She's, she's pretty oh good. Oh, yeah, she was fine. Yeah. I like that but, character quite a bit, actually. Yeah, for, and for, except for certain scenes. And in well, we'll get to that. Yeah. Uh, in general, though, when you get a sort of like, I don't want to say over the top, but definitely sort of a sort of a room filling presence kind of kind of comedic actor, mm -hmm. they they tend to, like Wallace Shawn. Oh yeah, they tend to play good Ferengi. And and Andrea Martin was in SCTV. She's very like she's very there. She's very present. Mm -hmm. She's got a, a definite pre and she didn't play the character that way. But I think that sort of theatrical nature of her makes her just better Good at this kind of thing. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I just, I, I wasn't really a fan of, of it's, the episode. It's, yeah. It's just, it's, I like seeing, I liked, we spent a whole lot of this episode on Ferenginar. This is the first time we've been there. Yeah. And I like the setting, you know? Well, and that feeds into my good thing. Yeah. My good thing was, while I don't love the broad slapstick comedy of Quark and Rom, I did like the comedy of 
this is how Ferengi culture works. Mm-hmm. Like, one, it was fleshing things out seriously, but two, it was still kind of funny. It's it's like it's gotten to the point like we've talked about how DS9's taken the Ferengi and made them in, from like a shitty joke race into yeah. like an actual race that sort of works, and getting to Ferenginar is kind of the culmination of that, and it all sort of kind of comes together, you know? Like, it's just, I think it does. Yeah, yeah it's like, like, this, like, it, like, you have to tip for everything, and, like... Well, they call it, they call it bribing, yeah. but it's effectively a tip, yeah. you If, if you want to sit in a chair while you're waiting outside someone's office, you, you gotta yeah. bribe someone. You want to use the elevator, you gotta bribe someone. Yeah, we got a great scene where Quark's climbing thirty flights of stairs because he didn't want to pay for the elevator. Yeah. No, when is, uh, when uh, that's how it would work. Yeah, when the um, when the Ferengi uh, liquidator, a uh, Brunt, yeah. shows up uh, to get if to get any information out, Quark's got to bribe him like three times. Yeah, like why why am I why are you closing my business? Huh? And it's just expe- he's like, oh, excuse me, how rude of me. And that's how they do it. Yeah, and uh, we were talking a little about this during the episode. I, I feel like it can't be corrupt. They can't be overly greedy, and they can't not do what they promise once you bribe. Like, the whole system would fall apart. Yeah, exactly. The fact, the fact that it's sort of a, a trustworthy, noble thing that this is just how it works. Yeah. Like, that, it works. Like, that's just, you know, I, I like that. I'm, it's more believable that way. Like, we're talking about, like, a race of weird people who somehow managed to, like, you know, get out there and do all right for themselves. Yeah. So like, no, yeah. I mean they're not they're not a full on you know like galactic power like the Klingons or the Romulans or the or the Federation, but but they're definitely a major player. Yeah, they're at least as equal you know at least equal to say like the Bajorans as far as like we deserve a seat at the table kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, no, I I liked I liked how things worked there, and I love uh, when we first go into uh, Quark's family's house, uh, and and the liquidators there with them and. Uh, they they have to pay to go in. Yep. And then uh, and you have to sign an insurance thing that anything that happens in the house is not the fault of the person who runs. The right, house. a liability yeah. waiver. And then uh, Quark, Quark uh, says the expression, "My house is my house." It's all the contents in it. Right. I, just, I like that. That's that's a very Ferengi <laughs> spin on Mikasa Sukasa. Yeah. So all that stuff I, I genuinely enjoyed as comedy and also as fleshing out of yep. uh, an alien race. And I like uh, you know I, I like. Quark and Rom's mom. Yeah. No, she's she's fine. Yeah. There's um, problems and Brunt, there, but, uh, Yeah. Brunt is played by Jeffrey Coombs, who we pointed out played a, a very minor role before. Mm-hmm. Will go on to play a very major role later. Mm-hmm. And this is sort uh, of in between. This is sort of in between. Uh, Brunt also will be back as in, in a more substantial role. We remember this character being great, but he didn't really do very much in this episode. No, this is one of those ones where I think they sort of looked at the character, saw he did a pretty good job, liked the actor... I just yeah. figured they'd bring him back for another Quark episode. No, and he's very different from the character we're going to see him play later. Yes. He's, without really spoiling anything, he plays a Vorta uh, working for the Dominion. Mm-hmm. And uh, it turns into sort of a major character as the, as the series goes on, and uh, fantastic. And there's one episode where they're both there at the same time. Yep. Both characters, Brunt and, and this other character. And he, apart from that very distinctive voice, you would not know it. Nope. Completely different characters, makeup really good, so you can't tell. Just, just he's fantastic. Well, they do even sound very different. They do, but you can still hear that very distinctive Jeffrey yeah. Coombs voice in there. Well, there's only so much you can do. Like end of the day, it's like, oh yeah, that's the question, right? Which, yeah, I mean, I I never thought anything would overshadow his his role, you know, as uh, the other character. Yeah. But uh, the the question is kind of what I think of him as first now. Pretty much. 
he was that was a really great role for him. Yeah, it was a really great but, character. But unfortunately, like looking at this ahead of time, like what episode is this? Oh, oh, Brunt's in this. Okay, good. Well, that didn't really amount to no. much. Which is too bad, but but he'll be back. So, <laughs> which is particularly funny because the last thing he says is, uh, "I hope I never see any of you again." <laughs> and Quark has this great straight, like uh, deadpan sort of uh, the feelings mutual. Get out of my house, thanks, buddy. See you around. No, I'll never see you again. <laughs> and you, you feel like this is sort of a cultural norm for them, just to openly display your contempt for someone. Mm. Well, <laughs> that's that, just okay for them. That's just good Ferengi honesty. Yeah. And again, I like that. Mm-hmm. I like before the take on them has been sort of you can't trust them, you don't don't turn your back or they'll steal your wallet and That's like it's yeah, like, but no. all of that is expected on Ferenginar. So yeah, once you get past that, it's a very honest culture. Yeah, if you put it in context, it all has to work. So yeah, it all has to be sort of honest in its own weird way. That's the thing. Like if you're going to be a businessman, you got to be on the you got to watch for all this crap. Right. Which means I, that you if you're going to be if you're going to be good at it, you're going to be very good at it. They they clearly put thought into the way this would all work, mm-hmm. and they clearly put thought into. You pointed out the uh, the sets. Oh yeah, like the set of of their uh, their family home in particular, where where their mother lives. Yeah, there's there's a lot of nice little touches, nice little things. I mean, there, there's a statue of a dog there's in the background. There's a giant for statue of a dog back there for. I don't know why. Well, I assume the national sport of Ferenginar is uh, Monopoly, and they have just a giant Monopoly board. <laughs> Because, you know, it would make sense. So she's the dog, Brunt's the thimble. Right. And the Quark is the car. Yes. And Rom is like community chest or something. He's the iron. No one ever uses the iron. <laughs> the iron or the shoe, I haven't decided yet. <laughs> the shoe seems kind of right somehow. <laughs> now I'm picturing him jumping around in the shoe like Mario in Mario <laughs> 3. I'm the shoe, uh, brother. That gives him too much credit. Do, uh, what do, was your good thing? Do, 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 do. Sorry. Um, there's a scene right at the at the end. We have uh, this episode also. The subplot is uh, Cisco dating uh, Cassidy Yates or trying mm-hmm. to for the first time. And there's a scene right at the end. Their date's not going great until uh, Cassidy mentions that uh, that uh, her brother plays baseball on uh, Cestus Three. Cestus Three, home of the Gorn, home of the fighting Gorn. Actually, not not home of the Gorn, just where Kirk faced off against the Gorn at those rocks and uh, needed a good stout yes. club. So it's nice that baseball developed there. Yeah. So he's got all the no, stout I'm, clubs they need now. Yeah. It's a good solid club, actually, before <laughs> anyone corrects me. I know the quote. <laughs> We've said it seven or eight dozen times. But So she brings it up, and Cisco gets so delighted by the fact that someone other than him and Jake have heard of baseball and yeah. are into baseball, and are playing baseball, he is just so happy. It's delightful. Well, you know what it's like to be a fan of something that's pretty obscure that not a lot of people have heard of. Oh, not, yeah. Not in a hipstery way, just in a nerd culture kind of... Wait, you know about that thing? Yeah. This, this, this We're like a secret club now. Nobody knows about that thing. Yeah. This is great. But yeah, Avery Brooks has, I mean, you know, once again... We, we love his just charm and his energy mm-hmm. and all that. And he's got this great sort of toothy smile that I don't think we've seen before that's different than, like, I'm happy the mission's going well or I'm happy for my friend Dax. Yeah. This is, I'm happy because something good is happening in my life. And it's it's a little different than what we've seen before. Yeah, absolutely. And I like that. I like that he's got that range in there that we're seeing a new side of him. Mm-hmm. Which is, you know, his wife's been dead. He hasn't really dated. And now he's found someone that he might be into a little bit and he's happy about yeah. it. Yeah. 
then you know we're happy for him. Oh, of course. No, you're, you're right. That was cute. I th- I can't really say that it happens in this episode. Cassidy will be around for a little while, and I don't. I'm not crazy about. I like the idea of the character. Yeah, the uh, the freighter pilot who's not affiliated with Starfleet. Right, and they they even do a little bit of that here, where where they're he- doing heavy lifting, loading the cargo, and he's like, "Why don't you use a transporter?" And she's like, well, I don't have a fancy Mark Seven transporter like you do. I only have a Mark V because we're poor and everything sucks if you're not in Starfleet. I love that Cisco's like, oh, you only have the Mark Six, huh? Have it upgraded yet? And she's like, no, I got the Five. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know they still made those. They don't. Yeah. We we work for these guys and we work with what they give us, mm-hmm. and that's the best we can do. Yeah. But I also like how he doesn't overstep his authority and say, well, uh, you can use mine. Yeah. Nope. You want to lift? You you go ahead and lift. No, it's but it's it's an interesting perspective to give. Like, what would a civilian be like in this world? Yeah, it's 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 cool, sort of stepping away from Starfleet without getting into you know just flat out criminals, which is usually what happens. Right. Right. No, and the thing is, on the Enterprise, you still had guys who were you know if they were on the Enterprise, they were at least related to someone who was on the ship already, or doing an important job on the ship. Like yeah. Keiko was a civilian. Yeah. But she was still the botanist. She was still there to do a job. Yeah, like, you know, they you got to do stuff. Yeah, so it's nice to, to meet someone who just has no connection to Starfleet whatsoever. Yeah. They're and, just one of the governments you got to deal with. Right, and not everything is great from where they sit. And we'll see, without really spoiling anything, we'll see later on she'll complain about some of their rules. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, why, why, why are you making us do this? This is impractical and I'm losing money. Mm-hmm. And it's it's nice. See, it's, it, but it's getting stuff like that without getting into you know Maquis territory. Where yeah, it's no, just petulant whining. Right. No, I, I, just a regular person. Yeah. To contrast against the you know the the best of the best, mm-hmm. it's I like that. Yeah. And uh, we're gonna meet Cisco's dad, I think, next season, and we get we get a bit of that from his perspective as well. Actually. Yep. There's another great example of a of a of a parent. On Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Oh God! Where, yeah. I love that guy. We we haven't met him yet, and I I don't want to spill some of the great stuff, but just in general, he's a, he's a really likable character. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but anyway, I I like the idea of Cassidy. I like some of the stuff they write for her. The actor they got, I've seen her be good. She was good and funny in um, Larry Sanders. Uh, she's been good in other stuff, but she's not great at this. She does not have the sort of charisma and likability that Cisco yeah. has and you just you feel like he could do better. See the thing is like I watched uh you know I've watched Deep Space 9 through twice yeah. before this and I don't remember anything about Cassidy other than you know her sort of being around. Well that sort of makes my point kind for of me. like a prop, you know? Yeah. Yeah. She's she, she's around I again I'm hesitant to spoil anything. She's around for quite a while. Mm-hmm. I don't want to say how long, but a, a good long while and uh, the fact that you remember almost nothing about her, well, <laughs> yeah. That that there you go. Unfortunate. Yeah, she's not terrible. She's not terrible, she's just, but she's very bland. But all the scenes she has are against Avery Brooks, who is great. Yes. And sometimes Osirak Lofton is not in this episode, who is pretty good. <laughs> and the two of them together, who are definitely great. Yeah. Like that, but I mean, she hardly ever interacts with anybody else. Mm-hmm. She's she's there with you know. One of the best actors in the cast, and another one who's quite good as well. Yes. And she just doesn't really add up. Uh, anyway, also, I don't like her stupid hair. I'm sure that yeah. gets better, but uh, I she's got giant poof hair. 
You got this thing where you look at hair from the 90s and you think it looks ridiculous, and I just say, yep, that's how things were in the 90s. I'm sure they were. I just, it doesn't, it doesn't really register me, to me. It doesn't make me wrong, though. Oh, okay. Giant poof hair. She looks like a treasure troll. I don't know. Like, there were some ridiculous 60s things in, in the original series that you didn't seem to mind. Yeah, well, then I found it attractive. <laughs> See, I find some of that 90s stuff attractive, probably because that was, you know, right around the time I was... Well, a little after puberty, but you know, in, in my uh, in my peak of finding things hot, late teens, early twenties. I don't want to hear about your puberty peak. <laughs> Come on, Matt. Okay, well, uh, let's talk about something else we really oh, don't want to hear about. Bitch. Or see uh, your bad thing. So, oh Lord. Okay, so there's a scene in this episode. Uh, we've had. Uh, Rom and Quark staying at their mother's place for a while now, and for the most of the for the most of the of it, the episode, she wears you know a dress, which is frowned upon in Ferengi culture. So at one point, after Quark stormed off or really sort of scampered out into the <laughs> into the night, um, Rom comes and visits her in her room, and sort of gets uncomfortable. Because she's wearing clothes. Mm -hmm. So she takes them off. And then has sits down on the bed. Has him put his head on her lap. Yep. And sharpens his teeth with a teeth sharpener. Yep. It's really... Now this scene plays out for... I mean, not not like agonizingly long, but uncomfortable. It long. is a... It's, it's long enough. Yeah. And it is very, very uncomfortable. Like... Yeah. It's bordering on incest uncomfortable to the point where yeah. I was worried that Al might take it for his good thing. <laughs> for some reason, incest in Star Trek, not uh, not, a, not a factor. Uh. The, for those of you who have not heard this ridiculous running joke before, <laughs> my wife one day put together that some of my favorite things are Star Wars, Back to the Future, and I was just at that point getting into the Game of Thrones books. Arrested Development. Uh, Arrested Development, my my favorite comedy ever. Mm -hmm. And so uh, the common element in all of those things, a uh, smack of incest. <laughs> and so the, the, that must mean that I love incest. Yep. I, I don't, but, you know. I'm that, sorry, that's... but the facts say different. Yeah, well, you know, you can't you can't argue with logic. No, that's true. Um, but no, it's, it is a very it is a very creepy, incesty scene. It's it's fucking okay. disgusting. Is what it is. I, let's let's talk about this though. The let's let's dwell on this scene that you found uncomfortable for quite a long time. Let's break it down. Yeah, as much frame as frame by frame, like the Zapruder film. Yes. It's the thing is all that stuff about Frankie culture we said before that was well thought out. Uh, the the one thing that doesn't feel well thought out to me is the uh, females can't wear clothes thing. Yeah. It doesn't, it just doesn't work for me. It's because she's in her own home, first of yeah. all. So who's even gonna know? But then you got that creepy scene, like, with Rom, where he's gotta see her naked. Yeah. Like, what? Well, it just, it, it just, so much of it just doesn't really make sense. It's like, and one of the things that really bugs me is that when they bring Brunt into uh, their house, uh, and she comes out wearing the clothes, he averts his eyes and sort of, like, covers, like, he sort of acts all disgusted, like... Well, it's, it's, they, they just took our social norms and literally reversed them. Yeah. 
he's reacting as though a human came into a human's house and saw a naked person and he's trying not to look. Yeah. It's exactly the same But reaction. it doesn't make any sense because, like, no. there's nothing to hide. Everything's covered. Right. And No, that's what I'm saying. The logic of it really breaks down, whereas all this other Ferengi stuff starts to make more yeah. sense. This makes less sense than ever. Yeah, it, this is, it's like, they took, like, a joke from, like, Next Gen. I think it was Menage a Troy, but it may have come up earlier yeah. than that. But that certainly is where it sort of came and to the it forefront. It just had to be like part of this culture now, and it it, it was just... it was great shorthand to show that they're misogynists uh-huh. by saying women don't wear clothes in our yeah. culture. Um, like they'll come back to it as saying like the reason, like one of, or one of the reasons that uh, women can't uh, own, like make profit or uh, you know buy and sell or whatever is that they can't mm-hmm. leave their houses to do it because they can't wear clothes, right? Like it just it just it doesn't make it doesn't make any sense. No, it doesn't really. That's something they should have dropped. And then it's like, where did she get the stuff she's wearing then? Yeah, because they don't make clothes. They wouldn't make clothes for women. Well, that's the thing is if you if you reverse it, uh-huh. like really, women in our well, really all people mm-hmm. in our society are expected to wear clothes in public. Yeah, but when you go home, you can strip down if you want. Yeah. like that's to me, that's what it seems like. I don't. It it doesn't work. No, it doesn't for me. And either. just it's one of those things where the more you try and fix it, the the more it breaks down. I I agree. Okay, so here's here's an interesting thing. Okay, first of all, I don't even believe I, I can't even believe I have to say this. I don't think I do have to say it, but I want to make it clear before I get into this weird position that I have here. I obviously do not think that the way the Ferengi treat their women is correct. No, at all. Like, obviously not. No, it's horrible. Uh-huh. That said, isn't Star Trek supposed to be all about respecting other cultures? I mean, it rarely actually is, but that's the thing people always think Star Trek is about. Yeah. Except this is an entire episode about how this alien culture's philosophies are clearly wrong and they should be more like us. Yeah. So the thing is, it's all about respecting other people's cultures as long as they're our culture. Right. And <laughs> they're secretly our culture. The thing is, I can look at world cultures that exist now in on Earth today, other countries where they do things that I don't find agreeable. Mm-hmm. Where, for instance, along similar lines, women are not allowed to show their faces in public. Mm-hmm. But I, you know what? We're raised to more or less respect other cultures, and that's how they do things over there, and it's really none of my business. And that's how Starfleet's supposed to be, too. That's how Star Trek is supposed to be. Yeah. And... Uh, it's, isn't tolerance of other people's bullshit what Gene's ideal future is supposed to be about? Like, the whole crux of this episode is the way Ferengi culture works is not enough like the way human culture works, and so it's wrong. Yeah. That just seems off to me. Mm-hmm. Do you understand what I'm I, trying no, to say? No, I absolutely do. Like, either we should be... Like, I think it would have been an interesting writing challenge to get us to dislike it but accept it. Uh-huh. But I also think it would have been interesting to, to play it different. Like, there's other ways you could play it. Yeah, it's like, it's like, they're obviously wrong, but it's not Starfleet's place to say they're wrong. Now, granted, nobody in Starfleet is coming here and telling them they're wrong. That is true. But, but clearly, we as the audience are expected to think this is wrong and that Ishka's in the right and things should change. Yeah. And that's the other thing, is the way the character's written, they're so concerned with keeping her a loving mom mm-hmm. that she never wants openly disagrees with Quark. She's always so sweet to him. And she never really feels like she's doing anything rebellious because she basically backs down at the end. Yeah, like, that's the the real issue is, like, she doesn't... 
Like, if she had more of a spine, I think I would like this more. That's, yeah, like, she doesn't do it to, like, it, it never feels like she's trying to fight for the rights of women on Ferenginar. No, she just wants to get her peace, and that's very Ferenginar. Oh, absolutely. But if we're supposed to, we're supposed to sympathize with her as a, as a social changer, as someone who, you know, is trying to, to revolutionize things for everybody, mm-hmm. then she should act that way. Like... Uh, Quark has a line when he's about to uh, report her to uh, Brunt, where he says this could shake the Ferengi alliance to its very core. Mm. And you feel for a minute like, wow, maybe that's what she's trying to do. But, but then it, at it, the end... It never feels like that. It, it No. At the end, she just admits guilt and hides her, her profits and keeps doing what she's doing, yeah. but no one will ever know. That doesn't really fix anything. It, it just... Yeah. It just, it's just... I mean, and again... I, as I say this, it occurs to me that it's still very Ferengi to do the selfish thing rather than the noble thing. <laughs> well, it is. Well, no, I agree, but uh... but it's not. You know, it doesn't really it doesn't really work to me storytelling. No. And overall, my biggest problem with this is there's no conflict. There, I mean, there is the base conflict of she's doing this. Quark doesn't want her to do yeah, this. Yeah, but that conflict is that like that conflict. There's doesn't... no escalation. Nothing ever changes. Nothing really gets resolved. No, it just stays the same until, you know, the 40 minutes are up and she just changes her mind because, well, the episode's over. Right. And it's not like Quark has a greater understanding or respect for his mother. Uh-huh. I mean, maybe he does because she can earn profit, but he doesn't really see her point no, anymore just, than he did before. He's just glad to get out of there. Yeah, he even says that. What do I care? I'm going home. You, you you were already home, and they came and brought you back here. Yeah. What's to say they're not going to do that again? Uh, well, maybe next time she'll be more careful. I, I think I think that was the implication. <laughs> Except I, I specifically don't remember the circumstances, but I know she comes back, so that tells me that she isn't. Yeah. But I don't know. I don't like. I don't remember. I, I don't know. But there it, there was potential in this episode. Yeah. And there and, were some and, stuff that I found interesting and would have liked to have seen more of. Yeah, and putting aside my base level like dislike of Ferengi episodes, there was a lot that they could have done with this, but I feel like they didn't. No, this epi- there, there was... needed be, there needed more conflict. This episode needed more conflict. Yeah, no, the the base conflict of she's causing trouble and Quark needs her to stop causing trouble. That's a good place to start. Yeah, but it's not enough. It's not enough it to should have uh, escalated. It's not enough to be the A story in this episode. No, it should have been either. The next step is either she's. She's got. A, she knows other women who are also doing this, and they're trying to change things. Mm-hmm. Or, Quark comes around to her way of thinking and helps her hide it. Yeah. But they, they end up in this weird middle ground that doesn't really feel like anything happened. No. Like he could have just never shown up, and everything would have been fine. Yeah. And that's that's disappointing. But again, there was stuff to like about mm-hmm. it. Uh, in any case, we need to we need to push on to the next one. Uh, you got any anything else? Uh, to say about this one? I don't think so. You want to roll out your quote? Yes. Uh, my quote is, uh, th- there's this great, uh, I think I talked about this a little in my summary, uh, this great sequence where Cisco realizes that everyone on the station is gossiping about this date that, that Jake's set him up on. And uh, you pointed out it's it's great to see these guys are, like, they have their little catty sewing circles. They have, you know, they do gossip yes. about things. <laughs> DS9 is a very gossipy place. Well, and, and Dax in particular. We, we've talked about how Dax still isn't quite where we want her to be, but playful Dax is definitely part of what we like about mm-hmm. her. And I feel like she facilitates a lot of that. She's the one who instigates all the gossip and all the, you know, all the, like, getting everybody to talk about each other's yeah. business. That's just her. And uh, she, uh, she's like, have, have you met Cassidy yet? And Cisco says, no, is, is she worth meeting? And uh, he, uh, Dax says this. 
Have you met her yet? Met who? Captain Yates. How did you know about her? Jake introduced us. So are you going to ask her out for dinner? I'm considering it. What did you think about her? Let me just put it this way. If I were Curzon, I'd have stolen her from you by now. Which I quite liked. <laughs> that just, you know, that, that felt like a very Dax yeah. thing to say. All right. Pushing forward to, oh, who the hell puts two A's in their name? Shakar. Shakar. That, that's, what kind of grown man would do that? At least he doesn't capitalize both of them. That's true. Uh, Something Matt, it took me t- ten years of knowing you to finally figure out to do. <laughs> you still don't do it. <laughs> Uh, tell us about Shakar. After the first minister of Bajor cacks it, the hated and deplorable Kai Wynn throws her <laughs> stupid little gold hat into the ring for an unopposed shot at the title. As first minister, she'll be in charge of both church and state, and nothing bad has ever happened when those two were united. Like a more despicable Daniel, Daniel Plainview, she notices a group of Bajoran farmers working with some soil reclamators and demands to know, Why don't I own that? Upon finding that the farmers in question are led by Takira's former terrorist cell leader, the titular Shikar, Wynn resolves to kill two birds with one stone by retrieving the replimators and making Kira feel bad while doing it. She then goes on to kill some birds with a stone, pulling out their crushed hearts <laughs> and swallowing them whole. Kira does indeed meet with Shikar, who is busting his ass trying to be able to get his farm actually making food again, and he doesn't want to return the replimators. Kira is able to convince Shikar to sit down with Wynn and come to a compromise. When Kira reports back to Wynn with the good news, Wynn lies to her face and then tries to have Shakar arrested. Shakar, Kira, and a group of other ex-rebels escape into the hills of Bajor, and Wynn sends the Bajoran army in after them. When that doesn't work, Wynn goes to Sisko, demanding a team of Federation sh- soldiers to find Shakar for her. This, she tells Ben, will strengthen the relationship of the Federation and Bajor. Well, first of all, Ben replies, I, <laughs> I thought the Federation and Bajor had a pretty good relationship. Secondly, I'm not giving you any troops, that's illegal. And thirdly, this isn't about a couple of replimators anymore. This is about somebody telling you no, and I have better things to do than throw a couple of innocent Starfleet officers at trained fucking terrorists. Wynn threatens to withdraw Bajor from its bid for, uh, for Federation membership, apparently not realizing that, Bajor, that it's not Bajor that's doing the Federations any favors on that count. <laughs> Meanwhile, out in the hills of Bajor, Kira and Shakar ambush and then start discussing their problems with the military squad that's chasing them. They realize that the true enemy here is Kai Wynn, duh, I could have told you that, and return to civilization where Shakar enters the race for first minister. Wynn steps down and puts in her support for Shakar, because of course she fucking does. Ooh. Your hatred, your blind, just seething hatred of Kai Wynn just delights me. I hate her so, so much. But once again, I feel the need that, that we need to state you don't hate her because she's poorly written. You hate her because she's really well written. Well, you'll note she's my fucking good thing yet again. Oh, yeah. Really well written, really well performed, to the point where this character just really gets to you in a way that I don't think any fictional character has that I know of. It's like Not if, any in Star Trek. I feel like if I, ever, if I ever need to have a building demolished, I just need to watch a bunch of episodes she's in and I will punch the walls down. <laughs> or just have Louise Fletcher standing on the roof taunting you. <laughs> You're not you're not demolishing fast enough, child. Perhaps I should have gotten someone better to do the job. <laughs> oh, <You> cunt! <laughs> that is not a word you throw around lightly. No. But uh, you were trying to find something stronger for her. Yeah. <sighs> okay. First, first of all, I, I gotta I gotta go back real quick. Uh, I don't know. I don't get the Daniel played. Oh, it's uh, they will. That? There will be blood reference. Oh, that's uh, I drink a you milk. Yeah, yeah. Right. Okay. He has other lines than that. All right. No. 
that's that's <laughs> just. I also know he doesn't say it in a comical uh, Italian immigrant accent. Hey, I drink your milkshake. But for some reason in my head, yes, he does. <laughs> I don't understand I don't that he's not Italian at all. I I don't know where that comes from. It's just in my head. I don't know. I haven't seen the movie. It's a good so, movie. So there you it's go. A very good movie. Well, plus it's got one of my favorite comedians in it. There you go. Sort of. What are the rules of dealing with Daniel Day Lewis? <laughs> Uh, so let, let, you you said this already that Kai Win is your good thing. Let's go into specifically what 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 about? I her. I hate watching the way she manipulates these pe- people in this. Like she just does it so perfectly. Like as soon as she sees that Shakar and his band of rebels are gaining a drop of support with the people with with Bajor, like they're talking about how you know like the 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 average Bajoran on the street is siding with him because he's just trying to get you know keep the things well, the government gave him. We see these four people who fought together yeah. Kira Shakar and these two other guys like at, at the beginning like we're gonna rebel and then when we cut back to them they've got like 20 guys following them yeah like clearly they're building a following it's like so as soon as she sees that you know the 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 scale might be going a little bit in his direction she tries to pull her her uh, Bajoran military out and get Starfleeted because now it's not now it's not my fault Starfleet had to come in again, by the way, you know, putting their nose where it doesn't belong. Well, the Galaxy Police. Here they are again, but I know yep. there's nothing I can do about it. Yep. And just everything she does, she, like, works to her benefit. And it drives me crazy. <laughs> the only thing I will say, and this isn't even a bad thing because it's not enough to be a bad thing. The only thing that gets me is she gets a little off her game when Cisco tells her no. Starts getting into Emperor Palpatine territory. <laughs> How dare they disobey me! I like that. I like because... For, and the, the camera plays along with that, too. We yep. get this angle like where she suddenly looks 50 feet tall yep. and furious. Yep. And I like that. I like that we see she's only, you know, one or two political events away from being a total corrupt dictator. Or not corrupt, but total... Just ruthless dictator. Like she, she could be as bad as the Cardassians if yeah. things happen the right. You way. know who's really responsible for all these problems on Bajor? The Jews. Yep. How about that? She, she's not too. Far. I mean, we saw a bit of that in the season two premiere with her and uh, Franklin Jella. Yes. Where uh, you know it was clear that she just needs someone to nudge her a little, and now she's beyond that. Yep. Now she, she can do all her nudging on her own. Well, that's the thing. Now she's gotten like she's risen to what basically amounts to one one of the two highest positions on Bajor. And then she got the other one. Yeah. <laughs> Which, as you as you point out, maybe uh, maybe a bit of conflict of interest there. Nah. And the fact that like the fact that the Bajoran people just let her do this. I mean. Because they view her as, like, a hero. Well, yeah, they, they've said before um, she's done some things, she's got some accomplishments under her belt, specifically now the, the peace treaty with Cardassia, yeah, which which must make her, like, a rock star, yeah, really. Yeah, like, ever, as far as everyone knows, and God knows she hasn't done anything to dissuade them. Like, Oh, she almost certainly has a propaganda machine helping. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, but uh, the idea that these people were oppressing them, how long was it? I always forget. It was like 50 years. It was a long time. It was a long time. I think it was 50 years. Yeah, something like that. I couldn't tell you for sure, although I should be able to. Yeah, we both should know this, and I don't know why we don't. But the Cardassians were were there for a long time. They poisoned their soil, which we see in this episode. Mm -hmm. They they just destroyed all kinds of stuff. They they imprisoned people. They they enslaved them. I love that we find out they poisoned the soil on the way out. 
Yeah. No, that's the salty earth. Yeah. Like, you know, so nothing can grow there again. So long, losers. Fuck you. Well, if we can't have it, nobody can. <laughs> but that's the thing. They they did all this stuff, and she's the one who got them to admit they did something wrong yep. and promise they wouldn't do it again. So, yeah, she's a fucking rock star right mm-hmm. now. And, like, it's... The other thing that infuriates me, because I have a list, is <laughs> she's not even very good at her job. Well... She's a good politician because, as you point out, her manipulation and the fact that she, once she sees the wind is blowing in Shakar's direction, she switches her tactics. Yeah, no, like, look, she's an excellent. She's good at strategy. She's an excellent politician. She's terrible at helping the people of Bajor. She's terrible at helping the people of Bajor. And although I do honestly believe she has their best interests at heart. Oh yeah, it's not like you know. I she's I I've never thought to... for a second that she's trying to like. She's not trying to fatten herself on on their resources and let them all starve no. at all. She really thinks she's doing good, which is what makes her so great, because she's not straight up evil. She's doing what she thinks is right, yeah. but it's just not. Right. But as far as being good with people, that's where it breaks down, and that's sort of the key of, you know, being a leader, you kind of have to deal with the people you're leading. Mm-hmm. And she's just not interested. No, at all. If she doesn't get what she wants, she starts throwing a temper tantrum. Yeah. And we saw this in the um, uh, Burial is a Frankenstein episode. Yeah. I don't want to talk to these people. I'm not good at it. No. I don't care what you have to do to make him suffer to keep helping me. Mm-hmm. You pump him full of whatever horrible things you need to pump it, him with. It's the same thing when uh, when uh, when Kira comes back from, uh, like, talking to Shikar. She's not even... She's not no, even... You, can see, you can see it in her face. The minute Kira, like, blurts out that... Things didn't go exactly the way you want. Yeah. Her eyes. Yeah, just, just and it's like, it's, look, I didn't get your, I didn't get your replimators. She doesn't hear the rest of it. Yeah, whatever the rest of what Kira says after that, she just th- doesn't hear. You can just it's, see her it's, temperature rise. It's like you zoom in on her, like, uh, like Walter White finding out he has cancer in the first episode. And there's just that. Ee- yep. Well, pretty sure you compromise. <laughs> You failed me, child. Also, when has the word child ever carried so much menace? (laughs) It's it's amazing how insulting that word can sound coming out of her. She's so fucking good, this actor. Just just to make her so hateable. Yeah. Makes me want to see One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest again. Oh, she's fantastic in that, too. It's a great fucking movie. Yeah, it is. I haven't seen it in a while, but uh, plus, in- actually, that's not true. I saw it a few years ago for a, for a film mm. class I was taking. Plus, interesting to see Danny DeVito that young. Yep. And uh, when I saw it, well, the first time I saw it in the '90s, it was like, "Hey, the Joker and the Penguin in the same movie." <laughs> <laughs> yes, the three greatest villains ever: <laughs> the Joker, the Penguin, and Guy Wynn. Yep. Um. So my good thing. Yes was, I'm kind of surprised I didn't hate this episode, and that it made me side with the Rebels. I'm usually like, oh, Rebels again, I'm so tired of this. But, uh, and and they didn't even have solid ground to stand on? Not really. Like, but, uh, I, but then I guess it's easy to get me to side with anyone against Kai Wynn. Yeah. The thing, and my bad thing was, that said, I'm completely behind the idea of being anti-Kai Wynn. These guys and their cause are kind of stupid, like, we're going to go to war because they want to help a different farm before we help our farm. Yeah. That Really? That's it, huh? Well, I mean, part of it, like, it wouldn't have escalated like this if she hadn't tried to arrest them over nothing. Well, 
That's not true. They stole government property. They didn't steal government property. They were given government property, and then the government told them they had to that they had to give it back. I think stealing, like I, I still think if someone loans you something and you don't give it back, that's still stealing. Well, it's like the government rented them these things and said they'd have them for a year. Yeah, it's enough time to give them their, uh, like, get their soil de-poisoned. Right. You know, put enough uh, pepper in there to get rid of all that salt. That's how that works, right? Yeah, I think so. This is the pepper-salt uh, balance. Yeah. Uh-huh. So, and then, you know, they come they come back like three months later or whatever and t- and uh, tell them, no, no, you can't have them anymore. Well, not, okay, that sucks. But they are the government. Mm-hmm. When the government changes their policies, well, sorry, that's the law. Yeah. You got to do what the law says. But, it's, it, it felt like I checked out a library book. The library wanted it back. I said, fuck you and burn the library. <laughs> like, no. I don't know that that's quite the same. <laughs> no, but it, you know what I mean? Like, it's not yours. Well, it's like the library telling you you have this for two weeks and then, you know, three days. And then a week later saying they wanted it back. Yeah, yeah okay. Well, well, this sucks, but it's their book. Okay, yeah. here you go. Or at the very least, I would expect I would have to pay a late fee. They just, they're like, nope, this is ours. That's what they, like, dad said we were going to Disneyland. I don't care if he broke his leg. (laughs) Fucking. Hey, 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 hey. Dad's broken leg is only going to help you at Disneyland. You get to skip the line. Oh, that's true. Trust me on that. But you know what I mean? Like, if your parents promise you something and then grown-up stuff happens and they can't do it, Mm -hmm. you're not supposed to throw a fucking temper tantrum. Yeah, but you're also not supposed to be, you know. They also, she arrests them, like, right away. Yeah, no, that's bullshit. Yeah. But but the initial stance of we're keeping the reclamators was kind of like, uh, mm. I, Like, it felt like we've been rebelling all our lives. We're not going to do what anybody tells us ever. Mm. And I really thought at first that's what it was going to be, and it was going to be another Akira has to burn somebody's house down episode. Which, you know, would be fine. Yeah, but we've done that already. Yeah. And I honestly thought this was going to be another how far has Kira become the man that she now has to side against the Rebels. And then it took a turn, and she joined the Rebels. I was like, well, that's kind of cool. She's not a complete sellout yet. And uh, so so that was interesting. But no, my point is I don't think this was worth fighting a civil war over. Mm -hmm. That's that's what I'm saying. But to its credit, I cared. I was genuinely interested, and I usually am not when it comes to Rebels. Well, it's it's like we've been saying. These are our rebels, you know? Yeah. Is, when, when I have a stake in what's happening, yeah. then it's different. First of all, these are our rebels. Secondly, it's really easy to get you on someone's side if, guess who's on the other side? Well, right. But this also does affect things in the show later. Mm-hmm. If Bajor really had a civil war, that would kind of make Cisco's job a lot harder. Yeah. I'm actually surprised they never went down that route, even for like a couple of... Uh... Eh, I don't know. I think I think uh, what they did in the season two premiere was pretty mm. close. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, but I don't. I I just I don't know. Like, it's impressive to me that they got me to care. This this kind of episode usually makes me roll mm. my eyes, but uh, but I kind of cared. That said, Kira just leaves her job for two weeks and goes and participates in an anti-government, uh, you know, uh, group. Yeah, that that is weird. That Cisco is just like, well, welcome back. Yeah. Like, Worf at least got yelled at for that kind of stuff. Yeah. Like, but, I mean, whatever. you know, Cisco's got to get it. It's like, oh, no, I understand. You know, Kai Wynn. Listen, listen, if I could join an army against Kai Wynn, I'd do it too. But it is a bit of a conflict that's of interest a, that's for me. A, that's a tough one to get out of, though. Yeah, I, I can't. Uh, I can't. Plus, you know, 
<laughs> she's supposed to be like I'm supposed to be Jesus and she's the Pope, so that would yeah. be really awkward too. Also, she does that thing again where she uh <laughs> she flips back and forth between him being the emissary and Commander Cisco, depending on whether or not she needs something from him. Oh yeah, he's only the emissary when she's trying to butter him yep. up. Literally butter him yep. up. I just wanted to put that image in your Emissary, head. I brought I brought the butter. Mm. It's in my little hat. You really don't like that hat. I want to knock it off her stupid face. <laughs> I don't like your hat. Um. So, what was your bad thing? Uh, oh, yeah, so you mentioned Kira leaves uh, DS9 for two weeks. Mm-hmm. Which, first of all, surprising. Like, <clears throat> she goes off to join the, the Rebellion, and then someone mentions, it's been two weeks since anyone heard from Kira, and I'm just like, two weeks?! Yep, and Cisco, like, we see Cisco, and he's like, yeah, okay. So, at the beginning of the episode, we, uh, uh, Kira's in her quarters, and she's got the uh, the Bajoran "My friend is dead" uh, torch going, which I guess you know she's praying for uh, Beryl. She's literally carrying a torch for Beryl. Yeah, literally. Yeah. So at the end of the episode, she comes back into her quarters. This is the first time she's been back in two weeks. Uh, she says goodbye to Cisco, and then sits down and blows out that torch. Right now, first of all. You really, you're really gonna, you left a fire on a space station going for two weeks? Are you? O'Brien's looking at the gauges like, where is all our oxygen going? Are you trying to burn the station down? Yeah, but apart from that, fire takes oxygen. Oxygen has to be manufactured in space for people to breathe. Yes. You're you're using up valuable resources for no reason. Yeah, now I'm sure your DS9 is very good at making oxygen. At this point, every, every uh, thing in the Federation would have to be. To yeah. have a society that spends that much time in space. But it's still a resource. But it's still a resource, and it's wasteful and dangerous. What, yeah. you don't have anything made of wood in your apartment, Kira? I know that's not true. You're, I mean, you're a Bajoran. All your shit's made of wood. Yeah, all your, your your spaceships are made of wood. We just established yes. that. Okay, but let's, let's talk about her blowing out the candle. Yeah, that that's, that's not my bad thing, but it is weird, and I no. think we should talk no, about it. It's not a bad thing. I just don't. I'm, I'm trying to figure it out. Yeah. I'm not. I don't dislike it. I'm just trying to to discern what it's meant to mean. It's like by seeing that torch. We, we and uh, Wynn mentions this in the episode. It's been three months since Beryl died. Right. And she mourns which, which him, actually child. lines up with every episode being about a week yes. because it was about ten episodes ago. And so she mourns works. him, child, and she loved him, and she misses him. No, which which she says is, uh, oh, you are you mourning like the some dude died for her to be yeah. to become the uh, president, premier, whatever it was called. I don't remember. First minister, and I, uh, so she's like, are you still mourning him? He died two days ago. No, I'm I'm mourning my dead boyfriend. Still, who? Beryl? <laughs> like she's a she's a spiritual leader. Yes, and showing absolutely no empathy for a guy who's who hasn't been dead that and long and who died trying to help her. Yeah, but even removing her personal connection. Yep. If your main job is to be the spiritual leader of a people, mm-hmm. don't belittle somebody's grieving process by saying, why, why are you still sad about yep. that? It's your job to counsel them. Yep, that's the thing. That is one of your main jobs is to make sure you're, you know, the people under you are okay. Yep. But that's what she does. Little pokes. <laughs> Little pokes. Yep. Uh, but okay, so she's still clearly not over no. yet because, and and that's fine. We didn't love Beryl, but we do buy. I, re- I res- like I respect you know her love for the character. Yeah, the, the show did enough to show us yeah. that yes, she was into him. Mm. So I believe it. It's not out of nowhere. Like sometimes Next Gen would. 
because because of not even because of bad writing, just because of the lack of of uh, serialization. Serialization. Yeah. yeah, they would they would literally forget about a situation for a year until it was time to revisit. Yes. Whereas this show does a better job of following up on things. That no, it absolutely before. So, makes sense that she'd still yeah. be uh, she'd still be yeah. mourning him. Yeah, but that, especially that, that, someone as spiritual as Kira. Right. She comes back. And she blows it, like, after she's gone on this adventure, after yeah. she's been with Shikar and the old gang and, and being Rebels again, and she comes back and blows out the candle, and that's the last image of the episode. Mm-hmm. Like, that's obviously symbolic. Of what? I have no idea. And again, I don't mean that as a bad thing. I mean, like, is she over this? Did did one last heist make her, <laughs> like, finish her grieving process? Or is she into Shikar now? Yeah, like, it does, like... And we saw no evidence of that, and... I, I, I seriously don't remember, but something in the back of my head says they're going to Yeah, I don't, I, I, I honestly don't remember. I don't even remember if he comes back or not. It wouldn't surprise me if he comes back. No, I know, I know he comes back. Okay. I remember people mentioning, this is a tiny spoiler, uh, First Minister, First Minister Shikar. Okay. Like, I remember that phrase. Okay. But uh, they say at the end of this, he's going to run and he's going to win, mm. so that's not really a spoiler. Um, but no, I, I, something in my head says that they hook up, but maybe they don't. I don't remember. But the implication here sure is that, you know, well, I'm over this guy because now I'm into this guy. Hey, there's the, that's the new hotness. Yeah, but there's no indication in the episode that that's the case. She doesn't appear to have any romantic feelings for him. They're just old comrades. No, they don't, they, like, there's not even any flirting in this. No. They're all, they're all business. Yeah. And they're all very good at their jobs because they did this for years. Yeah, so, like, I don't get it. Like, clearly no. you're trying to tell me something, but... Like no. I, I love it when this show's subtle, but maybe it needed to be a tiny bit less subtle. Just, just a touch. Yeah, that's all. Uh, Have you, Rob you come in the... and explain it to us. <laughs> you didn't hit on the B story at all, which is Chief O'Brien plays Darts. Oh, yeah, that's I it, didn't. The end. Um, I mean, there was nothing wrong with it. <laughs> no, no, it was cute. And you need things to cut away to sometimes. Mm. And it didn't go anywhere, and that's fine. Chief O'Brien plays darts, and he's got a good run going right now, and that's it. I'm a little incredulous that that good run run lasted the entire two weeks the episode takes place over, but uh, yeah. you, you would have thought people would have gotten bored with it by that point. No, Quark is a very good promoter. I guess that's true. He got people interested in darts in the first place. Yeah, yeah, no, you got me there. A, a game, like, it undoubtedly requires more skill than I have. I would suck mm-hmm. at it. But... A game that people can, let's be honest, play when they're shit-faced. Yes. Cannot be that highly skilled a game. Yeah. It's nice to know that uh, that uh, uh, O'Brien and uh, Julian were right when they said it would draw customers in, though. Yeah. I, but, I mean, really. I assume they, they were bullshitting it. The thing is, like, I, I okay, if you're in a bar, if you're with friends, I see the appeal of playing darts or shooting pool or something. It's basically something to do with your hands while you're talking. Yeah. But it's not compelling to watch. Not really. Is that point is that pointy object going to hit the red part, or is it going to hit one of the yellow parts? Or is it going to oh. hit Morn? Well, yes, <laughs> it did that one time. <laughs> but it's you know, like it's it's not. I mean, even watching a game of pool is more interesting because you wonder about the angles. Yes. You wonder who's you know, it's it's back and forth. But watching darts just is not. It's not. That it's it's definitely not compelling. a visual game. No. So having everyone gathered around watching in awe, like Quark, must be amazing at at selling this to them. Yes. Well, so he, he could keep that going. Well, he managed to turn a tennis match into a huge thing, so... Oh, yeah, that's true, too. Well, tennis... Another again, sport I don't want to watch. some back and forth there. Like, as, as you know, mm-hmm. it's, not like, it's not like golf, where it's just like, what are you looking at? Mm-hmm. There's nothing dynamic happening here. What are you looking at? Shh. <laughs> what are you looking 
God. Now it's time to clap like this. But do it backwards like a Bajoran. Oh, right, of course. Um, the the other element, uh, back to the rebel thing that I liked, was uh, <laughs> these four guys who I started for no reason at all thinking of as the Seinfeld guys. <laughs> Probably because, as you pointed out, the other chick had, <laughs> had very Elaine Bennis hair. Very Elaine Bennis hair. And I could easily see her doing the, uh, the Elaine dance. Get out! <laughs> But uh, there's four of them, and that's it. And they look a bit 90s. Mm-hmm. That's the only connection. There's there's really nothing there. But um, I, I like that they were sort of into it at first. Yeah, just like the old days. Let's get back together. Let's let's do the rebel thing. We got a cause. Let's let's get our teeth in this. And by the end, they're like, oh, we're getting old, and this sucks. And we remember it as being cool, but this is terrible. Yeah. Living in dirt is literally living in dirt. Mm-hmm. Let's go back home. I also, I, I, I like that they basically talked themselves into it by getting drunk the night before. <laughs> yeah. Like, they're all just sort of, you know, you got a bunch of old friends getting together for the first time in a long time, getting kind of, yeah. getting kind of plastered, talking about, uh, you know... Talking about the old talking days. Talking about the old days. And then, uh, Shakar just happens to almost get arrested, like, the next day. Oh, that's oh, handy. Yeah, let's that's, go re- let's go rebel. Man, I'm, I'm still sort of, like, tingling with nostalgia about how great it was to... to to rise up against something. It's not nostalgia, that's the booze. You're still drunk, you idiot. Yep. Uh, but I, I like that just as a character thing. Mm. Just as a nice, these guys are getting older and, uh, they're, you know, they're, they're more farmers than rebels now. Yeah. That's okay. It's weird how like, quickly like you that. can sort of flip that, huh? Well, I mean, it's been a few years, though. Yeah, I guess that's true, yeah. You know, and, and if your whole goal was to get the Cardassians out so we can go back to normal... Mm. Then in your brain, you're you're very much committed to the idea that we're done now. Yeah. So it's got to be hard to flip the switch back on, you know. Mm-hmm. So. I also. But I, I like yeah. that. I want to um just while we're on the topic of the rebels, I want to briefly talk about uh, uh, the one-armed guy. <laughs> okay. Um. So one of uh one of Kira's old friends is this yeah the Kramer of the the group. Kramer. Yeah. So like that you know that art piece. Yes. The Kramer? He's the hipster doofus. I'd like to buy the Kramer. Yes. Um, <laughs> completely lost my train of thought. No. So, uh, the he's this guy with one arm. Uh, lost his arm liberating some prisoners yes. or something. Um, he's very clearly got an arm tucked into his shirt. <laughs> yes, he does. Uh, very... And, you know, when, when you're a kid, everyone plays pirate or Star Wars or some situation where you might lose an arm, and we've all done that. Yes. Where you tuck your arm in and you got a sleeve hanging out. But it's so obvious. We're not making a TV show, too. Yeah. You know, like... Um, it's bad at the best of times. At yeah. the worst of times, there's a giant lump on the side on the side of his torso. Yeah, it's pretty bad. It's like, okay, if there was an arm there, you had, like, one giant Hulk arm. <laughs> so you still have, like, half an arm. There. Yeah, basically. It's, like, just the, the upper bicep. Right. Also, there's a, there's a bit... Where he's talking about, it. he's got a little speech, and it's it's not a bad speech. The actor's okay, the writing's okay, but I just want to smack him because he's like, "Well, the Federation does have arm cloning technology, and I was I was at the clinic, and I was gonna get a new arm, and then I thought, no, the the prophets. I asked them for help. I said I would give my life. I lost my arm. I figured the prophets want me to to be without an arm. I don't think the prophets give a fuck about your no, arm, dude. You clearly haven't met the prophets. Uh, we have. They don't give a flying shit what you have. Yeah, they they literally exist. This isn't a, a metaphorical, like you know, symbolic thing. Mm-hmm. 
They don't care. No. Go get an arm, the thing dude. Is, like, they, you're a farmer. You need both your arms. Yeah. It's hard work. Yeah, the thing is, they live non-linearly. Yeah. Uh, so they, they think you still have an arm. Right. Because for, for a good portion of your existence, you did. Yes. So, yeah. But it just, it, I mean, it was in character because these guys are very spiritual. Yes. But on the other hand, it was like, you know, it's that way you get when you see Luddites on TV. Mm-hmm. You're just like, shut up and use machines. Yeah, fucking, come on. They can grow you an arm. How awesome is that? You can just have a new arm. Yeah. I would, if, if I lived in a world like that also and it was free, mm-hmm. I might just cut off my arm just so I could get another one. Can you make this a better arm? Yeah. Oops, spilled some coke on my arm. Well... Can you give chop? Can you give me a black guy's arm? <laughs> I, just to fuck with people. I don't want to take a, an, an arm from a black guy. No, no, I, just no, want I want you, you to clone me a black, black guy's, guy's arm. arm. Yeah. <laughs> or 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 how about this? The the top third of it make like a black guy. The middle third make like Hispanic or or, or Italian or some sort of olive complected. And then the bottom third, like the hand, have it be white. Ooh. No, no. And then Neop- the, the Neapolitan arm. And then the the actual hand is a Frankenstein hand. <laughs> with stitches. Yes. Right. That would be beautiful. Although in in the future in the in the Star Trek world, you could you could go even better with that. You could get an Orion arm. Oh, yes. Cuz like we're we're just thinking in 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 sort of limited like the the small range of of skin tones we have on Earth. Give me Can you give me a Gorn arm? <laughs> or part Gorn, part Bolian? Yes. Just all the like all the body mod sort of post human stuff is so much would be so much cooler in uh, in Star Trek. Part Gorn, part Orion, part Zoidberg. <laughs> God. <laughs> Everybody just hates like thirteen percent of you for some reason, and you can never figure out why. Shut up, Matt's hand. <laughs> talk to the hand. Nobody wants to talk to the hand. Oh. No one wants to talk to that hand. Oh. Click click. All right, anything else? Uh, no, I think we can leave on that. Uh, what was your quote? Oh, yeah, I got a good quote. Listen to this quote. I see you brought me a pair of gifts. How thoughtful of you. They're not my prisoners. What do you mean they're not your prisoners? What's going on? I'm here to enter the election as a candidate for the office of first minister. You have an interesting sense of humor. It's no joke. Shakar is going to enter the election, and you are going to lose. I've consulted with the other army commands, and he has their full support. So this is a coup? No. It's a free election. If you want to run, go ahead. But if you do, this entire incident is going to be made public. And when the people know the real facts, when they know that you risked a civil war over a couple of pieces of farm equipment, they're never going to trust you again. That is delightful. Yes. All right. So as I mentioned, uh, next week is the final two episodes of this season. The season finale is a doozy. Oh, yeah, it is. One of the one of the very best episodes. Um, so looking forward to that. After that, uh, as I've said before, we do a, a supplemental show between seasons. Uh, we will answer your mail. We have a considerable pile of mail now, but... You're welcome to add to that yep, pile. There's still time. Yes, postatomichorror at Gmail. We will we will read it. We will answer it. Uh, if you want to weigh in on this past tense thing, we're certainly going to be talking about that. But yeah, send send in your questions. We will we will answer them. Um, at least one person, like apart from the past tense thing, just 
seems to have come in a bit late, doesn't understand some of our maybe running jokes, some of our, our established opinions. So this would be a good time to sort of refresh your memory on that I stuff. I am now telling the computer exactly why I hate the Maquis. <laughs> so we'll be talking about that. Uh, it, it's definitely a fine line we walk, because I do like having running jokes. Yes. And I don't want to berate people for joining us at episode 180 and not having heard all the jokes from yeah. before. So, you know, we'll stop and, and explain if you need us to. So if you need some clarification on a point, now would be a good mm-hmm. time. Uh, and and uh, we have our Tumblr, as always, com. our website, Uh that, That's all there. So with that, we're going to leave now. See you, folks. The Post-Atomic Horror Podcast is a co-production of Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham. Copyright 2014. Please don't sue us. We're just doing this for fun.